Well, good morning again. Uh, we're doing a little experiment this morning. Not really, but if you know me, this is a strange sight, right? I don't drink coffee, but uh, I had one of those weekends, long weekends, a lot of hours. And um, so this morning, I'm just like, man, I, I am dragging. And my wife says, well, what's wrong with you is you don't drink coffee. <laughs> and so I said, you know what? I'm going to try this. And so about 8.55, I decided to drink a cup of coffee. And uh, it helped me out first service, you know, but I didn't drink anymore. So we're going to see if I come down, you know. <laughs> what I hear is like you drink one and you have energy and then you start to come down and then you just have to drink again, right? And that's, that's the whole scam, the whole thing, right? This gets you coming back for more until you're, you're on it a lot. But it's great to see you. We're in the middle of a family series. Uh, three weeks we've taken time to talk about some family principles, um, things uh, about uh, how that God has designed the family to experience the love and grace that he's shown into this world. I mean, it's in the context of this foundational unit, the whole foundational unit of the world, the family. And in that context, man, we get to experience and know what love, uh, you know, is is at a deep way and and get to enjoy the companionship. And and the word we use is fellowship of one another. The family, God designed that to be a place where we could really have some of the deepest and greatest joys that we've ever experienced is in that family context. It's also a place where we have a chance as God uh, brings us together and, and we, we have a companion and then we have children, it's a chance for us to communicate, to transfer the love and the truth of God to the next generation in that family context. And we get to share with them the life-giving truth uh, that's in Jesus Christ. And, and uh, <clears throat> so it's in that family we... we and trying to just derive some principles and, and think about, hey, how does God see this? What does he want to have happen? What has he designed for us? And we talked about some of the, the foundational things. We've talked about conflict because it inevitably happens because guess what? We are fallen people uh, and as God is is working his grace, infusing his grace into our life. We're still not perfect. We're figuring this out. We're growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, but we still are not perfect. And so conflict comes along. And how do we deal with that? Because it happens in every family, some principles there. And then just at the end, or that, that third Sunday, we want to talk about time, how there is no substitute for time in our families. And you've heard the stories, right? Often about maybe the dad who, um, is caught up in his career and he's working tons of hours and, and he's not being able to spend time with his kids so he starts to buy him stuff to try to make up for the lost time and he buys them this and that and you've heard the story so often of kids who say listen I could care less about the, the, the next video game or the new four wheeler I don't care about that all I really wanted was dad to spend time with me because you cannot put any kind of monetary value on time time. And God has, uh, has a design for us to uh, come together as healthy families. And part of that is we experience quality time together. There is no healthy family without quality time. You might go for a little while 
and life's so ju-ju-ju-ju. But at some point, you got to get off the, and say, listen, I just got to, I got to be together. We've got to be together because if we don't, our health starts to go away. It deteriorates. And so we try to talk about that. Shifted gears last week into marriage. And we talked about this idea of <clears throat> seek God. Five things that we want to talk about to, um, I would say that if you take these things seriously and follow them, it's fail-proof your marriage. But um, <clears throat> five things, and one of those, the first thing is, is seek God, right? We're going to seek God, fight fair, have fun, uh, stay pure, and never give up. And seek God is at the beginning of that because the design for marriage is that we always keep the proper priority or perspective that God is my one and my spouse is my two. You say that sounds so elementary, um, I already knew that, but you would be surprised how often this does not happen and how often actually there is a tendency for us to, to place the needs and the expectations and the approval of our spouse above our relationship with God. And it seems counterintuitive. I'm giving all this energy and time and devotion to this person, but it breaks down. It breaks down down if we do not maintain the proper priority. Because when God is uh, in charge of our lives and his spirit is energizing us and growing us and working on us, then we then, we then have the potential to become the companion that we were meant to be. And you know, the whole dynamic is one plus one equals one. It's one person here, one person here, not coming together to make two, but one. Man, that is, it's the coolest thing to ever experience. But honestly, it's one of the hardest things to have happen, right? Where we blend lives and interests and hopes and we become this one. And so seeking God is at the heart of that. And if you put your relationship with God at the forefront of your life, your marriage will, will prosper from that. It will grow from that. Obviously, if both are doing that, right? We all know that this requires both involved, right? And so I, I've met couples where one is absolutely committed to this, the other one's not, and they've struggled. But I'm talking about two people seeking God. The second thing we want to talk about is fight fair. Fight fair. <clears throat> all couples fight. Amen? Don't get super pious on me. If you can't admit that today, then we already have a problem. All couples fight. If you've been married, you've already realized that. And the conversation isn't, well, you fight, so something must be wrong with your relationship with the Lord. You're, I don't know if you're a Christian because you guys, let's just get that out of the way, all right? Paul said that, hey, when you get married, when you come together, there is a sense of trouble at times, right? Again, this one plus one coming together, it happens. You're two different backgrounds, perspectives, personalities, so many things at play that, man, you just, to bring that together, fighting happens. The question is not if you're going to fight, but how you're going to fight. There's a guy out there that has done this for years, and he says, give him five minutes of observing a couple fight, and he will tell you 
if that couple's going to make it. He's 91% accurate. I'm like, wow, I want to see this guy in action. Famous dude. 91%, because how you fight is a huge indicator of, of um, the health of your marriage and the success of your marriage. You know, when we, when we, when we talk about um, marriages, and I'm thinking in my premarital counseling, one of the early things we talk about and probably spend the most time on is communication, right? Communication. You've already realized this. Where it's broken down, you've felt it. When it's worked, it's great. When it doesn't, we always have this ongoing, how do we stay connected? How do we communicate? You have the whole women do this, men do this, tight dynamic, figuring it out, right? And in the middle of that, in the middle of that ball of wax about communication, is how do we fight? How do we fight? And we want to fight fair. Healthy couples fight fair. Unhealthy couples fight dirty. They fight dirty. And so I wanted to uh, today just give you a glimpse into another one of our couple's marriages here in the church and just let them share a little bit about what they have learned and what God has taught them in their, I believe, 33 years of marriage. 33. And so... uh, Listen as Rob and Terry share with We're the Ellings. My name's Rob. This is my wife, Terry. Uh, we've got three grown children, Cody, Cassie, and Caleb, and uh, we've been married. It will be 33 years this summer. Yeah, yeah. We wanted to share just a little bit about um, our 33 years of marriage and um, to be honest with you, they've been they've been very good years. You know, sure we've had our ups and downs, but honestly, for the most part, they've been 33 good years. And part of the reason for that is um, uh, we look at our marriage as a building project, and we're constantly um, constantly trying to make it better. And so, for that reason, um, any opportunity that we had to go to a marriage conference, to do a Bible study. Um, to do a class, um, we were there. Um, if they were offering something for marriages, we were going to go and we were going to work on our marriage. We'd take excerpts from something that we'd, we'd learn, um, like, for instance, um, how's your love tank? And so there would be questions that we'd ask each other and we were trying to always communicate um, if something was not right, we weren't happy, something was going on, constantly communicating with each other, I would say. Yeah. Another, another thing that was really important in our marriage was that uh, we surrounded ourselves with some good, solid Christian couples, mentors, if you want to call them that. Uh, they taught us some really important things that helped in their marriage, gave us good advice. Things that they spoke about was grace and forgiveness and what those things mean in a marriage. They weren't perfect, neither are we by any stretch of the means, but they taught us those things. Uh, Selfishness, one thing they taught us, cannot have a place in your marriage. Um, The book of Matthew, Jesus says, when asked the question, what's the greatest commandment? He says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And I would say, just because Terry is my wife doesn't disqualify her as, as my neighbor. She knows me better than anyone else. And it's, it's because of my desire to serve Christ and her willingness and her selflessness has guided me into being selfless in my actions also. 
along with other things, communication, good communication is an important thing. Uh, one good lesson that we learned about in communication um, was just four rules of communication is found in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians 4 in the last part of it. Um, these four were be honest, keep current, attack the problem, not the person, and act, don't react. And being honest, um, share in love. Don't um, speak the truth. Speak the truth. Always be truthful and speak in love. Stay away from words like always and never because they most of the time don't apply. They really don't apply. Uh, keeping current is, is just that also. Stay focused on what you're talking about. Don't bring up past things. Don't get historical. Don't bring things up that we've already solved. If you've forgiven, it's not that it's forgotten. Um, but you've been past that, you've, you've taken care of that problem. We're not saying it's okay, but I forgive you. Now let's move on and go from there. Attacking the problem and not the person. We're both on the same team. So um, it's not about if I win or if you win, it's what's the problem and how do we solve it? Yeah, and act, don't react. Generally, the first thing we want to do is just react to a problem and how do we react? We attack that person. But the actions that we should have is how do we solve this problem? Our goal isn't to not have problems. Our goal should be to solve problems God's way and that would be pleasing to Him. And like all of these things that we've been taught and we share with people who talk to us about it, it's, it's really not complicated. It really isn't. God's outlined it all. But it's hard. It is hard. Mm -hmm. um, there's going to be times when you fall, but the whole principle and the whole idea is that when you do fall, you want to fall forward. Mm -hmm. That's the goal. Mm -hmm. So we hope that we've been able to encourage you, and um, Rob and I are always open and available if um, you want to be encouraged too in your marriage. Yeah. And one short little story. The picture behind us kind of has a story too, um, because this is actually where I met Terry. I was going out fishing, and I find her hiding behind this little bush right here. I picked her up. She was really lost and lonely. That's not true. So you can't help but with five minutes uh, listening to them, it's, it's obvious that through trial and error, through a lot of um, effort and love, patience, they have figured out this communication thing and they're still figuring out this communication thing because it's absolutely essential to a healthy marriage, right? And in that, in that context is how do we fight? How do we fight? I would drop in a, a little plug here. I didn't do this in first service. I'm not sure why, but um, we feel so strong about this that we've started the ball rolling with this. This last fall, um, Rob and Terry uh, took a month and spent some time with a few couples working through a lot of this material. Then Nicole and I took a month, and we just did that in November and December. It's something we want to do every year, and it's not about, hey, um, we're trying to, you know, if you, if you join that, it's like uh, you're going to have to just spill your guts and everything. That's not the point. It's just about creating another place where you guys, we can come together. I think we only wanted four couples per month, but just a chance to talk about it. Kind of a small group talking about marriage. And Rob and Terry have been on board with that. They are great. They are great with that. And so that's just a little plug. We'll be doing that next fall, next winter. It's just something we want to believe in, we're committed to. But so in fighting fair, 
Um, there's some things I, I wanted to uh, talk about. Um, man, there's so much that you could talk about in this. But I think that there's a scripture that gives us some great guidelines for understanding, okay, we're going to fight. How should we fight? How can we fight to bring about a healthy resolution? And uh, I... I just, uh, I wanted to say that Nicole and I got into a fight the other day, and, and Nicole came crawling up to the bed and told me I needed to get out from under the bed. So, <laughs> no. Hey, we fight, right? And um, I think James has something to tell us about this, though. James chapter 1, verse 19 says this. My dear brothers and sisters... Take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to become angry. And in that, I want to just stop and think about those three little phrases that he gives. First of all, quick to listen. And I would say this, that in our communication with one another, and especially in our disagreements and our uh, fights, I guess is what to call them, our fights, are we stopping to listen carefully? Have we stopped to listen carefully? You know, I've thought about this, uh, especially in the context of the only thing I, I have from experience is from my own marriage, right? And I think about the times when Nicole and I have been disagreeing. And so often, I am so caught up in trying to make my point or help her see the light, right? Um, and show her where she is wrong, that it's hard for me to even hear what she's saying. And it goes like this. I might be looking at her, and words might be coming out of her mouth, but all the while, I'm already thinking ahead. Okay, this is what I need to say. This is the point I need to make. This is, this is, this is. And so often, I am not even listening to what she is saying. I think this one helps us probably, if we practice this, it probably would help us to avoid fights, right? <laughs> Amen, ladies, I didn't hear an amen. And two, in the middle of our fights, taking a step back and say, am I really even hearing what she's saying? Or am I more concerned about what I'm going to say next? Or how I'm going to make my point? How I'm not listening. I, I, I need to hear. I need to be in tune. I need to carefully hear what she is saying. Maybe even here to the point where it's, wow, you know, she's saying this, but I can tell it's deeper. It means something else. Have we stopped to listen carefully? Listen to the words of Proverbs. Listen to the words of Proverbs. Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight and airing their own opinions. 
Raise your hand if you've ever been foolish in your marriage. No, no. Fools delight. Delight. They, find, they delight in airing their own opinion. They find no pleasure in understanding. And James is saying, listen, general principle for everything, but especially in the relationship that has the most communication, are you being, are you being careful to listen? Are you being quick to listen carefully? The second thing he says, though, is guard, be slow to speak. Let me go back for a minute and say, I think that there is, there is something that you can do to help you with this. And I know some of you are going to think this sounds so corny. And I've even thought about it myself and sometimes when I do it. But it might be good is if you are having trouble listening uh, or really hearing what they're saying to repeat back what they're saying. It's a good listening exercise. They'll tell you to do this and all sorts of different stuff. But to repeat back. Now, I've thought about this. And I think sometimes myself, I repeat back what she's saying because it's just buying me more time to figure out what in the world I'm going to say about that or how I'm going to defend myself, right? And so sometimes I repeat back because I'm just trying to figure out, okay, what do I say about that, you know? No, do it as an exercise to to, to listen carefully. The second thing is be slow to speak. Slow to speak. Guard your words faithfully. Guard your words faithfully. Um, <clears throat> listen to Proverbs. Those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from calamity. You ever brought calamity on yourself? Because you couldn't keep your mouth shut. Absolutely. In fact, the New Living Translation says, watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut and you will stay out of trouble. Amen. Um, so often in fighting, this is where things go off the rails. We don't guard our words faithfully. I feel like I'm just on my own up here. Everybody's just looking at me like I'm a, 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 one of those mice that they put in, they do trials on, you know? Like, you are just, we got this figured out, but you have got some problems. Guard your words faithfully. So easy to, in the emotion, right, of the moment, the heat of the moment, to allow ourselves to speak without thinking. And I've found that sometimes the, the, the fights that Nicole and I have had, because this is not practiced, guard our words faithfully, that all of a sudden it spins out and the skirmish becomes about something that's just been said. And then it really gets off the tracks. And sometimes I think, well, what were we even disagreeing about in the first place? Because it all of a sudden got personal. I think these are good principles, good questions to think about when you're, I know it's hard in the middle of a fight. So you need to read these before, you need to read these a couple times, right? Um, think about these. Two questions. Should it be said? Should it be said? And should it be said now? Should it be said Guard my words faithfully. Does this have anything to do with what we're fighting about? 
And then two, is this the time and the place to throw this in there? You ever experienced that? <laughs> in, the middle of, in the middle of the argument, wow, this is a chance to throw in that barb that I've been thinking about for two weeks. Or that thing that's irritated me for the last, you know, two days, I'm just going to slip this in too. Bad deal. Guard your words faithfully. Stay on point and measure your words carefully as you are arguing. Should it be said or should it be said right now? Here's some principles I think to live by in guarding your words faithfully and fighting fair. <clears throat> Never call names. <laughs> right, amen? I'm not even going to ask. I'm not even going to give yourself a chance to, to, to testify to that. Never call names. Never raise your voice. You know how hard that is for me? I just, my voice is just like this, you know, and I'm a passionate person. But honestly, raising my voice in an argument has done nothing constructive for the argument. In fact, it has been, it's been counterproductive, right? The body language that we're given, never raise your voice. Never get historical. I didn't say hysterical. Some of you ladies are like, thank the Lord. <laughs> historical. What happened five years ago doesn't matter about what you're fighting about right now. And you might have every reason to bring it up. And you were right and they were wrong and they hurt you and all that and blah, 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 blah. It is going to do nothing to help what you're dealing with right now. In fact, it's only going to probably make you lose sight of what you're trying to work through. Never get historical. You just compound the problem, right? Never say never or always. <laughs> Man, this is really true. When you say never or always, it moves from what's happening now and it becomes a characterization, assassination. Never and always. Don't use those words in a fight. Never threaten divorce. Don't threaten divorce. That is playing dirty. That is playing cheap. That is, that is you know, under the table, blow the belt, whatever you want to say. That's just dirty. Don't threaten divorce. <clears throat> And the third thing is handle your anger righteously. It's obvious that scripture helps us to understand that anger is actually something that is in our inherent nature. It's a part, God gets angry. And he's created us with the ability to get angry. I would even argue that anger, when it's used rightly, has been one of the most powerful emotions in the history of our world. It's when somebody got angry about injustices that, that caused them to move, to respond. Used productively as God has designed, it's a powerful emotion to cause us to do right, to do right. Right? And so anger is something God's given to us. In Ephesians, it says this. In your anger, what's it assuming? We get angry. Do not sin. And all of us understand that that line is 
We, we know that line, right? When it becomes something that's become selfish or self-centered, or we rage and we have malice and we, and we, we blow up, you know, to a point where it's, it's all of a sudden about us being angry instead of being angry about something that's not right or needs fixed. It says, in your anger, do not sin. Be slow to get angry. So fights, fighting fair has this ingredient of anger not becoming uh, something that quickly escalates, quickly appears and quick, quickly escalates. In fact, it says this, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. You know, I've thought about this, this principle of anger resolving it being slow to get angry, and then if there's anger, reconciling. I thought about the only thing I have a context for, right, is my own marriage. And it seems like so often uh, that if Nicole and I have a fight, um, it happens at nighttime. Anybody else like that? Um, kids are asleep, trying probably not to fight in front of them. Um, there's a good principle with that in play. And I remember my parents always, I don't remember my parents really ever fighting in front of me because they had this whole idea the kids are never going to see us fight. And I don't know if they were trying to fool us or something because, man, you could walk into a room and the tension was just like, like we knew they were fighting, right? But they didn't. And so it seems like for us it's, it's, it happens later. And, and you know how this works, right? One of you stomps off to bed or earlier, and you get in bed, and you know the posture of couples that are fighting in bed, right? Back to back. You ever do this? And it's like, I'm serious. This is me. It's like, I, maybe I'm like, I'm going to bed or whatever, whatever. You know that word. You get in bed, and I'm, and I'm real like, you know, like, and tense, and, and uh, she'll crawl in bed. And it's like, you know, I'm going to lay there for a while, and, I, I, and, I, and I'm going to try to be silent at first. I'm just going to act like I'm going to bed. I'm over this, whatever. And then, you know, it's even like this. I'm not kidding. Some of you guys are looking at me. <laughs> but like, you know, if her foot slips into my zone. I'm like, move it away. I am not touching you. I, I do. I've had this happen. And I think Nicole would admit the same thing. Like, I'm just, no, nothing right now. Leave your foot out of my zone. And we lay there for a while, you know, and she's all, always better at this than I am. And it, there's two kinds of people at this. There's the silent people, and then there's the huffer and puffers. And I ultimately end up huffing and puffing. And I... I sigh real loud or something. I'm trying to make my point. I'm still angry. You know, and I might pull the cover or something a little bit. And then I get up, go to the bath, stomp off to the bathroom. I'm just trying, you know. I just, I have to let it be known that I'm still angry. Get in bed and, and invariably one of us will roll over. And we'll start talking about it. And I'm, I'm thankful that we've figured out that you need to do that. It's been 1.30 and 2 in the morning sometimes. And I'm tired the next day. But it's worth it. Because you know there's been actually a few times that we haven't resolved it at night. It stinks. 
I'm telling you, man, get up the next day. You're starting off on the wrong foot. And you know what happens is you keep that pot boiling and simmering. And it's, it's going to give the devil a foothold. And all of a sudden, you're irritated, frustrated. You've not resolved it. And then there's three other things that irritate you. And it just simmers and boils and builds. And before long, you're in a greater skirmish than you ever should have been in the first place. And so be slow to anger. Don't allow anger to be a quick thing that escalates into your fight. Do whatever you can. Ask the Lord to help you. Help me not to get angry quick. Slow my anger down, Lord, because this is not going to create an environment where fighting fair normally happens. But if it gets there and we have a sharp disagreement and we're angry, then Lord, help us not to go to bed until we talk it out. And that might be difficult. And I realize today I'm talking to people from the whole gamut. Some of you are fighting about socks on the floor. Others of you are fighting about issues in your marriage like pornography or serious issues. And I realize that today. It's hard to, it's a broad spectrum, right? But I'm telling you, moving toward resolution is so important. Because if you let anger live there, you begin to borrow more and more trouble. And just like the scriptures say, enemy gets a foothold. And there's too many people who have walked into the courthouse and filed the papers because they didn't realize this simple thing. Resolve it. Because all of a sudden, you're mad about this and on top of this and this and this and this and it's out of control. And you just never come together. So handle your anger righteously. Here's four signs that you might see that you're not fighting fair. Criticizing, contempt, defensiveness, and, um, <clears throat> and stonewalling. Criticizing. Here, here's, what I wanna, here's what I want to say. I think of criticizing um, different than a complaint. A complaint addresses only the specific action at which your partner has failed. A criticism is global. It attacks the mate's character or personality. Here's, a, here's, a, here's an example. Here's a complaint. There is no gas in the car. Now that would be me, all right? I'm the kind of guy who loves to run it to the last drop. I don't know. I think I get a little thrill out of it. Um, I do. I'm the kind of guy on vacation where, all right, I think we can make it 30 more miles. Now, that's really stupid when you have five other people and four of them being under 10 in the car. And I've learned that, right? I've been with people that like quarter of a tank, they're filling up. I'm not that guy. You know, I, I'm, I'm trying. I just, it's fun to me. I think I've only run out of gas once. But I wouldn't want to run out of gas on the side of a mountain in Tennessee with my family. So I got to, you know, wise up. But this would, could be a complaint. There's no gas in the car. Yeah, that would be, okay. I'm aggravated that you didn't fill it up like you said you would. Complaint. Valid complaint. Criticism would be when that happens, you start with this. You never remember 
anything. You cannot be counted on. You don't keep your word. You never, you never, never. You see what I mean? You start to move into criticism, characterization of someone's character instead of a specific complaint. Valid at times in our marriages, right? Hey, you didn't do that. Um, and that aggravates me. It puts me in a bad spot. Legit. You start the criticism route. You're not fighting fair. You're starting to assassinate someone's character. Contempt. Contempt is it's composed of a set of behaviors that communicate disgust. It includes, but not limited to, sneering, sarcasm, name-calling, eye-rolling, mockery, hostile humor, and condensation. Condensation. Yeah, that too, but I'm not sure where that goes. <laughs> Condemnation. It is primarily transmitted, listen to this, through nonverbal behaviors. Contempt. It doesn't move toward reconciliation and invariably creates the con- increases the conflict. It's always disrespectful. They've even done a survey out there that couples who display contempt for each other suffer from more illnesses and diseases. It's awful. And unfortunately, it's also mostly nonverbal. Your body language, your eye rolling, your sarcasm, your, uh, you know, all that. It's not fighting fair. It's not being productive to resolving anything. In fact, it's only increasing the things. Contempt, defensiveness. This behavior conveys the message, the problem is not me, it's you. From this position you imply, because your partner even threw the first stone, they're responsible for the entire conflict. You avoid taking responsibility for your own behavior by pointing to something they did prior to their complaint about you. You do not acknowledge that which is true and what they are saying about your behavior. I I listen, I have seen this and seen this and seen this. You might be, you might be, you know, right. You might be, if we're going to do a percentage game, you might be 20% of the whole problem. Own that 20%. Own it. Stop being defensive, right? Own the 20. It's amazing how when somebody's willing to own their part, you start to move toward resolution. I've seen it even with the 20-80. 20%, hey, you know what? Yeah, you know, they, the other person might have started. They might be 80% at fault. But you know, when we got in the middle of it, here's where I went off the rails. And you know what? I'm sorry. And all of a sudden, it just, it readjusts the perspective. It changes the tenor. Oh, all right. So, okay. You see what I mean? Defensiveness. And the third, or the fourth thing is stonewalling. You know what this is? 85% of guys are the ones that stonewall. And it's basically like this. You come to a point, you're like, all right, all right, that's it. I've had enough. I'm done. I'm just going to disengage. I'm just going to walk away. I'm just going to, okay, whatever, whatever, and go. You know what? I've thought about this. Nicole and I, we've walked through some of these stages And I would say most of you, if you were honest, criticism, contempt, defensive. And and I find that, you know, it seems like we fought a lot in our first year of marriage. 
we still, you know, obviously are not without fighting, but, um, but I would do this. I would stonewall. Just walk away. I'm done. Disengage, whatever. And you know what she'd tell me? I hate it when you do that. It kills me when you do that. I'd rather us fight for five hours than you just stonewall me. Because what you're communicating when you're stonewalling is, I don't really care enough about this relationship to figure it out. Right? And guys, we do that. Part of it's we're not as verbal. You know, they got like 25,000 words a day and we're at 10. And it just seems like I can't get a word in edgewise. And she always has an answer. And I'm done. Avoid that though. Yeah, you might need to say, hey, you need to slow down. Let me talk. You need to listen carefully. (laughs) Work it out and don't disengage. Again, this goes back to the whole resolving your anger thing. Don't stonewall. I'll just leave you with these three things. Don't react in emotion. Respond in the spirit. I know that sounds all holy and whatever. But when when you're fighting fair, you are trying to come to a point, okay, so I need to talk to them about this. We need to deal with this. This is, this is creating something. Wait until you're cooled down. <laughs> Wait until you've, you've, you know, and maybe some of you are like, well, I can't quite get all the way. Well, that's okay. But don't do it at the height of emotion. Let it cool down. Respond in the spirit is kind of the idea of, Lord, help me with this. I'm gonna pray about this before we have this conversation. Help us, Lord. Cool me down. Help me to be able to then practice listening carefully and guarding my words faithfully and handling my anger. The second thing is confront to heal, never to win. If we're one plus one is one, no one should be winning in this. You heard Robin Terry talking about that. It's not about who wins. No one wins if somebody wins. The relationship is what needs to win. And so I'm going to, we need to address this so we can fix it. Not so I can have one over on you. And I can, I can use this now. Man, I've seen all that stuff. Like I'm going to go ahead and use this because I can use this later, you know. What are you doing? Confront to heal. And then third, forgive and apologize. Forgive and apologize. Forgive I loved what Rob said on that video. Forgive is, is not that it was okay and not that I'm going to forget, but for forgive is I am not going to hold it against you anymore. I'm, we're moving on. I've forgiven you. And apologize is so important. You remember the old story about the guy who said his wife you know, finally had enough and said, you never tell me you love me. And he said, well, you know what? I told you the day I married you and nothing's changed. What a stupid way to approach things. We need to hear from one another words. I love you. We also need to hear the words. I am sorry. Please forgive me. It humbles us. It's valid. It creates the healing that we need to have. I am sorry. Please forgive me. Fight fair. Fight fair. Listen carefully. Guard your words faithfully. Handle your anger righteously. Father, Lord, thank you for the word. Thank you for this time and these people that care about this. 
And Lord, I, I just know that as we allow your word and your truth and your spirit to infiltrate our marriages more and more, we have healthier, more fulfilling, strong marriages. And then we have strong families. And then we just live lives that are blessed. We have so much joy and fulfillment out of this unit that you designed for us. So Lord, help us to remember these things. Think about what you said in James and apply them to our lives, I pray. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Have a great week.